I'm Andy Stevenson and welcome to another episode of A Winning Mindset, Lessons from the Paralympics, brought to you by the International Paralympic Committee and their long-standing partner, Allianz. Together, our aim is that these podcasts can help you in your own personal and professional life. You'll be introduced to people who can inspire and change the way you think with their stories of facing life's challenges, often helped by having the right team behind them. This is the final episode of the series, but if you're only just joining us for the first time, then please do subscribe and listen from the start to the likes of Johnny Peacock, Tatiana McFadden and IPC President Andrew Parsons. That trio all featured in the stunning Netflix documentary Rising Phoenix, as did my next guest. In fact, she provided the film with its name as well as some of its most striking scenes. We go out on a high with the defiant brilliant Italian Paralympic wheelchair fencer, Bebe Vio. Bebe, there is so much I want to talk to you about. The Rising Phoenix film, your Art for Sport charity foundation, and of course your own Paralympic success. But to understand all that, I think we need to start with the context of why you are who you are. Um, So at the age of 11, you were struck with a severe case of meningitis, which saw both of your legs amputated from the knee down and both arms amputated from the forearm and left you with some facial scarring. As as an 11-year-old, what are your memories of what must have been a horrible time for you? I remember everything, but everything is like filtered from like the view of an of a 11-year-old girl. So what I remember are all the good thing of that moment. Yeah, of course, all the pain and everything else. But all my pain either was filtered by the the good the good part of it. I remember my family came in. The um, who what came they they came like every Saturday night. So for me, the Saturday night was the, the best day ever uh, for pizza and and film all together. You know, we are so Italian. So pizza once a week is the, is a must. <laughs> <laughs> and so whereas what else? What else? I remember like all the amazing doctors who were, who were helping me in that moment. Uh, all the amazing letters that I received from all my friends, from my coaches, from from all my scout group because I was part of the scout group and from my schoolmate and also I it was quite a good period from what I remember then every time that I say these things that there, there are my parents behind me and they used to say okay maybe it was too young but that period was not that cool <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's remarkable particularly as a child I mean I think even as an adult but as a child it's remarkable to be able to focus on the positive side or even find a positive side to all that because it's no exaggeration to say you could have died from that meningitis yeah of course like 97 percent of people used to like the average is 97 percent of people who died uh, in their first uh, 48 hours so i think i was <laughs> quite a little, quite lucky <laughs> mm. you know in that moment you don't have to fight for yourself i think like I, I think I'm alive just because I fought for my family, for my siblings. You know, if you are like in a bad, 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 like bad situation, you are almost dying. You just have to think that if you're going to die, maybe this is better for you because <laughs> the 
suffer and the pain it comes after the disease after the hospital after everything because i know my all my skin was like kind of open in a scar and so my body was not there i just my mind was there in some way and but when i was there i just thought okay if i'm gonna die maybe this is better for me because i'm it this is too painful for me. But if I'm going to die, my family, my siblings, my schoolmate, my fancy mate, my teammate, all of them, they're going to, part of them they, is going to die. So I don't want to see all the people like suffering about me, like around me. Maybe if I'm, I'm the one who's going to suffer, all the other one around me, they're going to be happier because they, they, and because I'm not going to show them that I'm, that this is painful. But I think the best way to find our happiness is to find others' happiness before. Because if I see my sister happy, if I see my schoolmate happy, if I see my coach happy, I'm going to be happy too because of that. If you help the other to find their happiness, you're going to be happy too. It's very profound what you say there and something I think we've all had to be more aware of in the last year or so, being kinder and more considerate of how others are feeling and trying to help others to be happy. How long did it take you and your family to accept what had happened to you and that your life was going to be very different because of the meningitis? You know, at the beginning, it looked so hard, either because like in Italy in that ages, uh, it was 2008 and it like disability in general was not really present. Like, of course, there were people with disabilities, of course, everywhere, but they were not famous. People with disability, they were like... Uh, poor people with like pity people. So at the beginning, of course, was so hard. And then we got the lucky, thanks to my parents, in particular to my mom, she went to the Venice Marathon that, you know, is like a marathon very, very famous in Italy. And there they were both uh, uh, Alex Zanardi and Oscar Pistorius. So, so those two were the two uh, first people with disability that I met. Thanks to them, I understood how much was, how much could be cool my life? How much was important to live like a, a normal life with us, even if you have a disability? How much was important sport in general? How much was important to enjoy your life through the sport? You were very lucky to meet Alex Zanardi, the former motor racing driver who's gone on to become a Paralympic star in hand cycling and is an absolute hero, not just in Italy, but around the world. And of course, we're all thinking of Alex and his loved ones at the moment. He's going through another extremely difficult time in his life as he recovers from a serious cycling accident. But for you, back at that moment in your life, you couldn't have picked a better or more inspirational person to meet, could you? It was unbelievable because, you know, I didn't know anything about them. So I, I, can't, I understood how much I was ignorant about this like new world, which is like the Paralympic sport in general. I have never seen someone with a prosthetics or like a, on the wheelchair before. Like to me, to my opinion, when I was young, the wheelchair was just for like old people. So I didn't know what what, what was exactly a prosthetics or, or that there, there were like people with without legs or arms. I, I really didn't know anything about them. So um, it was unbelievable to me to understand my new life through like disability 
And I couldn't believe that I could be part of the fencing environment again. At the beginning, I was like, no, no, this is for people with disability. I don't have a disability. And then my father came to me and he told me, like both my parents, they came to me and they told me, okay, you know, you are <laughs> you are disabled. <laughs> you got a disability. <laughs> it doesn't mean that if we give you back your legs, you're not people with a person with disability. You are still, you are still a person with disability. So at the beginning, I didn't want to do fencing, on like wheelchair fencing. And then... The first time that I tried to play wheelchair fencing again, I just fell in love with that again. And everything was almost the same of before. It was, everything was amazing. Uh, I was like, I don't, I don't know. I just lived my, my best moment of my life like two times. Mm. Quite a few of the athletes I've spoken to on this series actually were doing a sport before an accident or, or illness. And then they were able to find that same sport again, or, or perhaps a slightly different version of that sport again. I, I think it's amazing, isn't it? It feels to me like as you talk there, that finding wheelchair fencing must have been such a motivation for you and and kept you going and and in some ways possibly saved you would that be would that be true yeah you know maybe the best thing ever was that i began part i was part again of my team because i i had my same team of before like of the center fencing so when i went back in the witcher fencing i went back to my old gym and they didn't have of course the I don't know, the, the, all the, the tools that you need to, to practice fencing. Like they didn't have the wheelchairs and they didn't have, they didn't know how to teach fencing in the wheelchair. So everything was new for everyone. But my old coaches, they, they learned how to do fencing, how to teach fencing on the wheelchair. All my, my all the teammates, they, they learned how to play fencing on the wheelchair. So what, everything was new for everyone. And this maybe was the things who, we, we were a good team before, but after that was something, something so great and not only the fencing but also all the you know the the changing room environment because there you have to of course you have to be naked in front of the other mm. and they used to see me like with everything like with Alexa with the arms without disability without all the skin so was was so weird to me at the beginning to, to be naked in front of them but either that was something so big that we we both learn and and that was great because at the beginning of, of course we were so young all of us we were so young so at the beginning my prosthetics was a kind of game for everyone it was a play we we used to play with the prosthetics we used to play with the, with the legs with the witcher with everything so what the really cool thing was being part of the group again and the fact that they they was watching me on my eye on the same way of before. Nothing changed. It's a very defiant thing that comes across from you to 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 be describing there about you in the changing rooms and, and showing people, right, this is my body now and you accept it or you don't. But did you ever have people who, I mean, maybe now even in, in your everyday life, you must have people who stare at you, possibly laugh at you, make jokes. How, how do you deal with that? You know, maybe the problem is that I'm the first one who joke about me. And we are so Italian, so we used to joke about everything. Everything is a kind of joke. Everything is a kind. It's something on which you can play on. I think it's much more easier to play as about someone else if you are the first to play about yourself. So either because this is something of my family, my my father, and my mother, they used to laugh about everything, either like very very bad things, <laughs> kind of like similar mm. to a disability or a disease. <laughs> or death or life or everything. So I think this was the best thing ever because they taught me how to 
to play about me, how to joke about me. I completely understand what you're saying about that. And I find, I mean, people get very bored of me making jokes about arms and legs. But I think <laughs> if you if you own the joke uh, yourself, then it, it, it diffuses a, an awkward topic, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. The, what I'm, I'm looking for is just people who can like see my disability as kind of opportunity in general. So many times they like, you know, I, I learned how to, to live by myself because um, when I was so young, I've been part, uh, I was part of the national team. So we, we travel a lot. I was 14 years old. So uh, just after three years uh, after my disability. So I really had to learn how to live by myself, how to do everything by myself. And then three years ago, I went, I moved to my own house. So I learned how to, I don't know, how to cook, how to do everything. So these things was so important to me to do everything by myself. And these things, it's, it's so crazy because when I moved to, to live with some roommate, the, the crazy things was that I was the only one with disability, but I have to help them to, uh, in, and teaching them how to cook or how to do it. <laughs> Just one more question about your disability, Be- Bebe, and then we'll, we'll focus on your, your achievements and other things. But um, I was just wondering, is it possible to say either back then when you were a child or, or maybe even now as an adult, what, what was it that upset you most? Was it the, the limb loss or, or the facial scarring, for example, and the scarring you've been left with on your body? You know, I really don't know how to answer to this question, but I learned how to live my life again. And I learned how to enjoy my life so much. So I think that if you like, if you mm. do something that you really, really love, you are not scared of anything. You are not, maybe you are scared about something, but you know, I, I see my disability. I see everything about my disability, but everything that every time that I find something that I like officially, I cannot do. They used to tell me, okay, now this is impossible. You cannot do that because you are, you have a disability. You cannot do that because you have prosthetics and all. Um, every time that I find this situation is the moment in which I really enjoy it because I really I must do that. I'm gonna, of course, I'm gonna do that. Maybe I need much more time. Maybe I need much more tries. But that's the moment in which, like, I just wake up so much and I did, and I just say, okay, guys, I have, I, I must do that. Let's let's talk about the Paralympics. I know your your first connection really to the Paralympics was you were a torchbearer, weren't yeah. you, for London 2012, representing athletes of the future. How much? Did that experience inspire you? So much. It was my first Paralympic game. I have never seen a Paralympic game before. I, I of course, I knew about the, the Olympic, but I didn't know about about the Paralympic. But uh, this is the reality. So when I came there, uh, I was there, of course, uh, like as you told, as a torch beer representing the future Paralympics, and it that was so scary for me because I, I just began doing, I was just began doing like wheelchair fencing, and being there and representing the future Paralympic athlete was so scary because I was there with my amazing torch and I was there thinking about okay maybe now I'm representing them but I don't know if I could be a Paralympic athlete for part of the Paralympic game so I was so scared but also so much emotion were in me it was amazing. I cried for the whole play <laughs> from uh, <laughs> Piccadilly Circus till Tra- Trafalgar Squares. It was amazing, really, really amazing. During the Paralympic, I was already there. I was working for Sky Television them, and I had my own uh, like channel in which I was like, how was the Paralympic Games seen 
through the eye of a young athlete, young future athlete. I really lived all the emotions of everyone. And either, the, I, of course, every day I was in the fencing room, in the fencing field, and I was there dreaming about the moment, dreaming about me being there and being part of that things. When I saw the medal ceremony, I was there and was crying. I was saying, okay, one day I'm going to be there. I want to be there. I'm dreaming about it. I, I, of course, I have to be there. That's my dream. So being in Rio de Janeiro four years after was, boy, I don't know. I don't know really how to describe it. You won Paralympic gold in Rio and your celebration of that gold medal is one of the most intense celebrations I've seen in any sport ever. And there it is. The coach jumps to his feet. VL celebrations are just incredible, as incredible as that performance. The 19-year-old from Venice in Italy just doesn't know what to do with herself the emotions so raw can you talk us through what was going on in your mind in those moments since when you are five years old i wasn't dreaming about the olympic and then at 11 years old i had the 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 meningitis so they told me that my dream was not possible so when i began when i began again doing paralympic fencing but like after a few years i understood that maybe my dream was already possible the paralympic game is has a I think has something more because you fought, you fought a lot to be there. At the beginning, they told me, okay, you cannot do fencing. You have to change the sport. Go and, and run. I don't know. Go and swim. I was like, no, I want to do fencing. Please let me let me be part of this. I want to be on that beach. I want to be there. So we fought a lot, a lot, a lot for that. After the, the final exam of the high school that was going like, you know, in a good way. And then, so my parents, they told me, okay, if you don't have like a higher grade, a high grade at the, um, at the high school, you would never go to the Paralympic. After the final exam, I um, trained so hard and finally was there. But the day before leaving uh, in Italy to live in Rome, to be in, uh, in, uh, in Rio de Janeiro, at my last training, I had a bad, bad injury to my, to my arm. I spent the whole two weeks there during the Paralympic game crying all the time and not thinking that dream was already possible. And then you you know that you fought so much, but then the day before you had an injury. So I was like, again, I cannot do that again. <laughs> so I passed the entire two weeks crying and trying to train as best as I can. And then I was not sure to do the, to the game until two days before. So it was so hard. That's why I cried so much. That's why I screamed so much because I really, 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 really wanted that medal. Look at that. Just what this moment means to the young Italian. All of the emotion came spilling out of you. I urge people listening who maybe haven't seen it, you know, it's there on, on YouTube and, and and just watch that celebration. And actually, it made me think and a couple of my colleagues think about uh, great Italian sporting celebrations because you're a very passionate nation. And <laughs> I think about I know I know you're probably a little bit too young for this, but I'm sure your parents remember uh, Marco Tardelli in the in the yeah, World Cup of 1982 and Toto Scalacci at 1990 and then we see kind of Ferrari fans at the Formula One you're a very passionate nation and that that celebration of yours at Rio was just right up there with any of those uh, iconic moments I think you know Marco Tardelli came to me if you like the year after the Paralympic I mean after that scream Marco Tardelli came to me and he said like 
you know, my scream was the most famous in Italy. And now there's yours. I'm not so happy about <laughs> oh, it. Oh, <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. <laughs> now, all of this brings us nicely on to the uh, Netflix documentary Rising Phoenix, because that Rio celebration is one of the most dramatic moments of the film. And you're one of the key stars. It's a documentary about the Paralympics. And in actual fact, you are the Rising Phoenix who the film is named after. Let's hear a clip from the documentary now. At the age of 12, I was part of a scout group. They gave you like this kind of nickname. My name was the Rising Phoenix. Because the Phoenix can live and die and burn and then live again. My scout group saw me in each step living, burning, dying, and then live again. So how did you first learn about the film and how did you come to be involved? The, the directors of the film, they came to my parents first time and, and they told them that they want me to be part of the film. And for us, it was kind of crazy because I've never been part of like a kind of real film or a real documentary so we really thought that this film could could do like a big change in in people's minds. So we just need to show to the people how much it is great and how is amazing the Paralympic sport and the Paralympic life. Paralympic athlete between like the Olympic athlete, the different is just a story. Both of them they have a great uh, I don't know physically uh, opportunity and strength. And Paralympic athlete has all of them. They have like like amazing background amazing stories amazing uh not like impossible things that they made possible i think the best things of the film is that there is no one story the film doesn't show heroes i personally don't believe in heroes i just believe in people i just believe because i just think that everyone can do everything it just if they believe in it and if they believe in their team if they believe in their self if they believe in the population in general so I think that the, the, the cool thing of the film is that it shows people who had so many bad luck and bad situation and bad everything. But then through that bad situation, they found out how to be a better person, how to be a better, how to live a better life, how to fight in some, in some way and how to fight in some, in some situation, how much of family and teams can be part of the change. Your depiction in in the documentary is is stunning you're filmed in a stately home of some kind and it's it's beautifully lit you're you're wearing body armor but but all your limbs and and scars are on show and a picture of defiance where was that filmed and, and how long did it take the interview was so long maybe because i speak quite a lot probably <laughs> it's my fault <laughs> we we were in an amazing villa close to rome and the dress that I had is a dress who was made by Christian Dior because the, the fashion director of Christian Dior is the, she is, she's a woman, a woman, and she's the first Italian and woman uh, fashion director uh, in, a, in a, like, such a big house as Dior. And so I really appreciate it because she's a, a, he became, she became a friend of mine and she made this dress for, the, for another event and we used for, for that moment because she, she thought about this dress, thinking about me, about like 
my heart, I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> and about fencing. That's why all oh, the sword was there. And, and it was cool either because the villa is amazing. The dress was amazing. So I just put my face there. Now, one other thing is that I know your family has set up a, a charitable foundation called Art for Sport. And I believe the aim is to try and provide children with disabilities opportunities to take part in sport. Tell us about that. When I began doing fencing, was sport disability sport was not known. There were just old people being part of the sport. And we didn't know the reason why just old people were doing Paralympic sport. And then we understood that, you know, we were new of, of the sport, of the Paralympic environment. We didn't know how much a prosthetics costs. We didn't know how much a wheelchair could cost. So, and we understood that the Italian government doesn't pay for the Paralympic, uh, uh, for the, like sport tools and sport equipment for people with disability. So, of course, if you are six years old and you want to run, you, like an average family, doesn't have the money to buy a prosthetics and all. So it's not necessary to dream about the Paralympic game, but the, the things that you want to do is just uh, take out all the young guys from the, the, the house, from their room, from the living room, and just put them on the field, and just put them in a, in a in, I don't know, in a gym, just put them in part of the team. Now we are 38 guys from three years old to... 33 years old, I suppose. I just love how the face of a young guy, of a six-year-old, of, of three or six or 10 or 12-year-old guy, how their face change before and after playing sport, how their lives change, how their, the family change, either because we are all like young guy and we are all like depending on our family, but we depend on them like emotionally. So if if the, the, the children is happy, the, the mother and the father, they are happy. If the children is sad, both parents are so sad about it. So we want to make like all the children so happy through the sport. And thanks to the happiness of the children, all the family is going to be better. They're going to feel better and they're going to feel to be part of a team. So we are trying to change people's lives uh, and young people's lives. My parents, they, they are doing like an amazing job and they are changing all the, the perception of the, of the Paralympic sport. I just love them so much, how much they are working and how effort they are putting in, their, in, their, in, their, in this kind of job. Well, the whole project sounds amazing. So this feels like the perfect time to surprise you and hear from two of the young people who've been helped by Art for Sport. Have a little listen to this. I'm nine years old and my name is Ephraim. I love running. Thanks to Arvor Sport. I have prosthetic leg that allow me to do sport and play with my friends. Bye! Arvor Sport is mainly a second family that has given me many opportunities, both from a sporting and psychological point of view. It not only gives uh, sport uh, prosthesis, but it improves the the lives of all the kids who are part of it, helping them to overcome daily difficulties. And that is why I will always be grateful too. Thanks. (laughs) There you go. How does that make you feel? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. 
I should give them a name check. That was nine-year-old Efrem Bonner and 16-year-old Ricardo Catanio. So it must it must make you and your parents feel very proud to hear hear from the actual children you're helping. Yeah, I love them so much. And yeah, I recognize, of course, I recognize both of them from the voices. And they they are amazing. They, you know, Efrem, he really, really literally grow through the, like grow with us because we, we met him so many years ago and we saw him growing up either like Ricardo, Ricky. So it's amazing how, how they love change through the sport. And so we are so proud of them. Now, I'm sure we could speak for hours. I'm sure you could speak for hours, actually, Bebe. <laughs> I mean that in a very nice, positive way, but uh, we could speak for a long time. But um, I'll just ask you a couple of questions to finish. Um, you're still only 23 years old. How much more do you think you can achieve in your career? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Either, uh, I don't know. I'm so scared about this next <laughs> Paralympic game. So I really don't know if I'm going to pass that. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm going to be part of the next one. So my dream is to be in uh, Los Angeles 2028 because... Uh, according to our statistics that we did and and we on which we are working, we thought that 2028, like the Los Angeles 2028, the Paralympic game, that one is gonna be like the real, real, like second step after London 2020 and 2012. So um, thinking about the the claim that had the London 2012 that was inspiring a generation that was what made me starting start doing like sport like in a real situation like in, really really as my kind of job you mentioned la and you actually went to the white house didn't you a couple of years ago and met barack obama yeah that was cool i mean not not everyone can say that <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty unique experience yeah the house is so big barack and michelle they are so funny and they're super chill wow yeah they're funny and chill they're they're super easy and it was so cool. The food was not that good, but because I'm Italian, so. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't do you pasta, no, or pizza, no. They did some um, like so many different things. It was a kind of mix between Italian and American food. Though my grandmother is a she's a much better cooker, so. Okay. <laughs> I can bring my grandmother next time there. <laughs> now, obviously, people listening, you know, they'll be able to tell how positive and optimistic and, and happy you are. But you must have days where you feel down, like everyone else. Some days you must feel that life is, is a bit unfair. I mean, do you? And if, and if you do, how do you get through those days? Every time everyone used to say, I got my hero, I got, I take my inspiration from someone else. But as the listen, the, the, the voices that you listened before, they are my biggest inspiration. Like Efrem Ricardo and all the other guy, part of the, our, our team of the Nonprofit Association of the After Sport, they are my greatest uh, inspiration ever. So if you have a great team like that, and if you have to show them that you are always happy in, that that is the reason why I'm I'm doing my sport. That is the reason why I'm working so hard for the Paralympic moment. That is the reason why I, I wake up like so happy every day because I know that I'm gonna meet them like every day because I, I train every day with some of them and so I always have to to look happy and to to show my happiness in order to like try to convince them to do more, to be more and to train more. Bebe, so much of your approach seems to be about helping others. And as you've said, making other people feel good about themselves. 
It's so well deserved that you've had your moments in the spotlight and it's been an honour to speak to you. I've wanted to interview you for a long, long time and watching Rising Phoenix only increased that. So thank you for your time and I'm sure people listening will have learned so much from you. Thank you so much. Well, thanks to Bebe Vio, her passion and defiance just come bounding across the airwaves. A real icon of not just the Rising Phoenix film, but also of disability, disfigurement and what the Paralympic movement stands for. And that's it, the 20th and final episode of this series of A Winning Mindset Lessons from the Paralympics podcast, brought to you by the International Paralympic Committee and their long-standing partner, Alliance. I hope you've enjoyed all 20 interviews. Do leave a review and tell us which one was your favourite. It's been a great few months speaking to so many athletes around the world. I've shared laughter with Johnny Peacock, Ellen Keane, RJ Mitty, and as you've just heard, Bebe Vio. I've learnt about things I had little experience of with Mika Horsberg, Todd Hodgetts, Husna Kukendakwe, and Kaleo Kanahela McClay. I've sat spellbound as Grace Wembalua, Bruno Bosniak, and Ali Velazquez told me their stories. I've listened with admiration to Paralympic legends Tatiana McFadden, Greg Polychronidis, Sharif Osman, Manuela Scher, and Marcus Rem. I've talked to young Paralympians Daniel Chan, Peter Paukis, and Carlos Serrano, who've already achieved so much and still have so much time to achieve more. And I've picked up leadership skills from IPC President Andrew Parsons. Thanks to all of them, but most of all, thanks to you for listening, subscribing and reviewing. Look out for more episodes, hopefully later in the year, but it's goodbye for now.